Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Walter McLeod to the show. Walter McLeod is a co-founder and managing director with VSF Solar LLC, where he leads project origination, site control, government relations, acquisitions, legal, utility relations, and business negotiations. He has more than 20 years experience in energy policy and solar development. He also publishes a weekly newsletter called Carbon Creed. Walter, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Raj. Walter, thank you for being on. Walter, where in the world are you? Well, presently, uh, I'm in Fredericksburg, Virginia, working from my home office. And how's the weather there? You know, it's actually not too bad. It's a little nippy for mid-April, but uh, the sun is out. And when the sun is shining, it's always a good day. Are you getting the opportunity to walk around a little bit, get some air? Yeah, yeah. My wife has me on this regiment, and I have to, you know, go for this um, three-mile trudge with her uh, every evening um, through the neighborhoods. We live in a it's a fairly historic town, so we we go through, you know, uh, Confederate and Revolutionary War cemeteries and houses that are two, three hundred years old and uh, it's it's pretty interesting, um, but it yeah you know, it gets me exercised and that's the point. Well, good. And how are you doing right now during the whole pandemic? Um, doing pretty well, thank goodness. Um, uh, trying to stay focused on uh, big picture issues, um, family, uh, health, and uh, and and staying uh, mentally and emotionally well, um, and continuing to you know to 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 focus on. Um, the work that I do right now on, on carbon and climate uh, so that I don't get distracted um, by, you know, so much misery that there is on, on television right now. I'm glad to hear that. So, Walter, I'd like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Well, I think <laughs> it's funny you asked that question. Um, most people do not know that I spent some of my career uh, working in, in the coastal conservation space. And I actually wrote legislation um, that became um, uh, uh, a national resolution that was passed by unanimous consent in the House and the Senate. And um, about 150 governors and mayors and the White House endorsed it. So that's that's something that most people don't know about me. That is interesting. What kind of legislation? Um, it was a resolution uh, establishing a coastal creed for um, beaches and coastal communities around water quality and uh, litter. Water quality in the community? Water quality, uh, coastal water quality. So bathing water quality, um, bacterial standards, and litter, plastic, waste, and debris. That is really interesting. And how long ago was this? Uh, let's see. It passed in 2007. Uh, the 110th Congress passed it. Congra congratulations for getting something passed. Yeah, yeah. That was sort of, you know, that was a when when I used to do public policy full time. That was that was the highlight of my career. So, speaking of your career, can you share a little bit about your current endeavor? Sure. So um, currently, I'm splitting my time between two um, uh, aligned focuses. 
Um, one, my partner Bruce Beam and I uh, formed a company called um, VSF Solar, where we are developers and financiers and consultants of utility scale solar projects, primarily in the mid Atlantic and southeastern United States. Um, and then the other part of my time I spend working on, um, on a newsletter that I created. Um, it's called Carbon Creed. And there we focus on um, looking at corporate leadership, public policy, and consumer technology through a climate lens. So how long have you been publishing a newsletter? I actually started that in November. And um, uh, it's a weekly newsletter. It's curated. And uh, uh, it's it's been a way for me to, to, to flex my uh, creative muscle and all this information and knowledge I've had for the years uh, to sort of put it out with, with, with my special sort of viewpoint, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and people are giving me pretty good response. I'm, I'm happy I'm, I'm doing it. I like the idea of flexing a creative muscle. This morning I saw a sign. It said, uh, less hustle, more art. Oh, I love that one. Yes. Yeah, this is all about art for me. Yeah. And I, and I think right now, you know, we all have the opportunity to get involved in more art. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing outlet and a way to connect with um, my colleagues and friends over the years uh, using a platform and uh, a mechanism I I just had never I didn't realize was out there and it's it's really powerful. That's excellent. So Walter, you've been involved in this clean tech industry for many many years. What are some of the changes that you've seen over your time? Well, uh, it's interesting you you ask that. Um, you know, the definition of clean tech has changed dramatically uh, uh, during the course of the past 10 to 12 years. Um, you know, back in the, in, the, in the mid to early 2000 um, time frame, uh, clean tech was, was pretty much uh, renewable technology. Um, uh, and there were some people who were trying to push the envelope uh, and include low carbon technologies like, like natural gas uh, technologies in the clean tech space. Now, of course, today, we know that that's, that's certainly uh, not uh, correct. Um, and that natural gas, while it may be a transition um, as we go to cleaner technologies, it, it in itself is, should not be considered clean tech. Um, and then we also see some changes in sort of the, in the narrative around uh, how we describe you know, technology in this context. Um, today, you see funds that are focused on climate technology and not just what we call clean tech. So they're looking at things like uh, decarbonization as a focus. Uh, and, and that can include um, uh, sequestration. Um, that can, it can include um, uh, uh, other uh, sort of non-traditional um, uh, technological approaches. Uh, and it goes much broader than just renewable energy technologies that we have been accustomed to. So... Do you have any favorite technologies besides solar that you've seen over your time? Uh, I, you know, I, I have become um, a, a lover of, of, of electric uh, transportation and the applications in that space. And I'll tell you why. Um, when I looked at the, the opportunities we have to advance the, the low-carbon economy and, 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 and to decarbonize our way of lives, um, Utility scale, renewable technologies, um, uh, as well as local um, community scale and residential scale, uh, solar and other technologies of that type, 
um, they, they have more of an infrastructure feel to them and they, they tend to be more limited because not everybody uh, has their own home. So not everyone can avail themselves of, of, of rooftop solar, let alone community solar. Um, and so w- when I look at uh, electric transportation, you know, all of us, uh, especially in this country, but globally, we all are on the move. And um, every day we make mobility decisions, whether it's, you know, to ride a bike or to walk down the street or to jump in our individual car or to ride, you know, public tra- or mass transportation or, or today to you know, use a, a ride hailing app. And so I think that as we look at um, the increasing electrification of, of mobility options, you're going to see uh, opportunities for more people to directly participate in, in decarbonization and clean technology solutions than you do have in, in more of an infrastructure focus like, you know, like renewable technologies, um, which if you live in an apartment, for example, or you may not have the option to go solar. So what are some of your thoughts around, you know, the vehicle to grid opportunities? Well, vehicle to grid um, is, is, is a really dynamic and changing space. Um, uh, I, a couple of years ago, working with uh, George Mason University here in, in Virginia, um, I got the, uh, the, the privilege to, to lead a, a consortium of, uh, of, of companies in the electrification space. And, um, and part of uh, what we produced from that consortium was a set of guiding principles around uh, electrified mobility. And one of the areas we focused on, um, in addition to you know mobility as a as a service and um, transportation as a service and elect, um, uh, environmental justice, um, was uh, vehicle to grid risk, uh, vehicle to grid um, uh, business opportunities, and um, uh, vehicle to grid um, modeling, um, because. There are lots of um, business opportunities that are going to come from this whole new sector uh, as uh, cars not only serve as um, modes of transportation, but with electric batteries, cars can also power uh, our homes and power our essential appliances. I think the way to think about electric vehicles is uh, that they are almost a generation source in themselves, uh, and they are going to be a—they're commonly being viewed as a grid resource. So, so in, in, instead of it being um, a unilateral exchange where uh, the battery and the car benefit only from you know part, plugging into the grid, the grid and grid operators now have a a resource that they'll be able to tap um, and and utilize. Um, to to provide backup and, and power on demand for other things, so so it's just going to change the whole um, uh, technicality around the grid and opportunities to use the grid in a more dynamic way. So you know what's interesting is that a couple of days ago my wife showed me an article. They have deployed 110 school buses in Austin to provide internet for children that are currently at home. There are certain areas that are having challenges with broadband. And when she told me about that, I thought about some of the opportunities regarding vehicle to grid when it comes to, you know, things like school buses and other transportation. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. So the the electric vehicle um, and electric vehicles are part of what 
most people will consider um, a continuing of advanced mobility. So you get electrification, um, you're going to have autonomy, and you also have connectivity. Connectivity is what you're talking about, where um, an electric vehicle um, can serve almost like a, you know an, an internet provider of sorts, uh, depending on you know how it's constructed. But it, what what vehicles are able to do and how they are viewed as an asset um, um, as opposed to a liability is going to change the whole value proposition of of mobility and and how we use what we call a car. They're going to be more like uh, robots. I totally agree. And speaking of value proposition, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind, you know, what you do and pun intended, you know, what drives you, 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 there's an opportunity cost for you to be involved in this sector. You've been in it for many years. You've stayed in it. What's your why? What drives you? You know, that question is one I ponder every day. Um, and with good reason, because I think it's important to always reevaluate why you're doing whatever you're doing, what drives you. Um, so I'm a chemist by training. That's my background. And, you know, chemists tend to be um, uh, driven by the arts or the science of chemistry, right? And and and, and a traditional chemistry training is 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 found in the arts and science realm. And and I believe that that's true for me today. As I look at my why and why I've been driven to clean technology and 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 this particular aspect of it um, around. Um, uh, clean generation and mobility. Um, it's because I love the art of business and the art of, of the deal. And I love um, the scientific process and the combination of science and technology. So um, it, it has always been a part of what's fascinated me since I was a kid. Um, uh, you know, I've always tinkered with technology. I've always been uh, sort of uh, attracted to and had an affinity. Um, for technology, but I've also always been drawn to the arts. Um, you know, I played um, uh, the double bass uh, going through high school and middle school, and um, it was kind of funny because I was, you know, I was six foot three. I was captain of the basketball team, and I played in the orchestra. Now that was that was definitely a breaking of the mold. Okay, um, <laughs> but but it was because I had you know I just always had an appreciation for the arts and that's that remains with you know with me to this very day and 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 it's just evolved into as I become an entrepreneur and and do more deals and 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 go through the whole process of of creating companies and building teams and and partnerships uh, you know the art of the deal is just um, it, it's it's a real uh, um, adrenaline boost. It, it, it drives me. It's my why. So as much as I appreciate your answer as an interview, I have to dig a little bit deeper. You mentioned art and science and the art of the deal. There are numerous different industries as a chemist that you could be involved in. What made you choose clean tech or solar in particular? Um, you know, I think it, I, it's happened chance that I ended up uh, in this space. So I started my career uh, as an AP chemistry teacher. And and then uh, a friend of mine who was working in public policy in Washington said, you know, hey, you've got a real knack for relationships 
and understanding how to, to sell an idea. And in Washington, that's really what um, people do for a living. They, they, they know how to um, uh, create ideas, package it, and then and sell that. And, and, and so, um, so the next thing I knew, I was working in Washington on public policy um, uh, in the chemical industry. And, and then that quickly sort of, uh, once I, I realized that my personal ethics um, were more focused towards sustainability, um, I, I started gravitating uh, towards um, solutions that would get us to sustainability. And what the common theme I saw across all industries was energy. Every industry uh, in this country and, and the, the backbone of our society uh, is, is based upon you know, a functioning um, energy infrastructure. Um, and for some of us, that's the grid, right? The, the grid is probably the, the primary functioning infrastructure uh, today, especially living in the, the information age we live in now. So, um, so I just, you know, use that as my magnet, knowing, you know, sort of what I was drawn to. And, um, and then my career choices um, followed a path and, and opportunities were opened uh, before me um, that led me deeper and deeper into the clean tech sector. Um, you know, working, you know, with uh, uh, investor organizations and investor groups, um, becoming an angel investor myself, um, working with big, you know, hedge funds and um, Fortune 500 companies, and and sort of, you know, having an opportunity to create, you know, um, or use my lens to help them uh, see a decarbonized future uh, the way that I could see it. And so, you know, I've just been fortunate and, and a bit serendipitous in, in my path getting me to, you know, where I am in the clean tech business today. Well, serendipity is one of my favorite words, but I don't want to gloss over something you said that I think is extremely important. You know, you, you said about everything is driven or underpinned by energy, and I, and I agree with you, it is. I read the book by Daniel Jurgen called The Prize about eight, ten years ago, and I must have given it given away, I don't know, eight, ten copies since then. It's quite a thick book. It's about a 700-page, 800-page read. I think it's a phenomenal read. And I almost feel like learning about energy, the grid, and you know fossil fuels should be part of almost mandatory curriculum because, as you said, it, it underpins everything we do, yet most people are either illiterate or ignorant about where the energy comes from. They, you know, we're all consumers of it, but we don't know what it takes to get here. And so I'd like to hear some of your thoughts regarding that. You know, Daniel Jorgen has, is one of my favorite authors and his book, The Prize is, is, is among the top 10 energy books that I, I recommend and that I have ever had the privilege to read. Um, if you if you really want, just as you said, if you really want to understand uh, global geopolitics today, um, just look at the the history of energy, um, and and you'll see that they chart um, almost a symbiotic path, um, and and I believe that that is not a coincidence. Um, you know, people, humans, um, uh, Homo sapiens. Um, our societies, the more advanced we become, uh, the more energy um, integrated we, we are. 
Um, and we become much more, and, and to do this in a decarbonized way, um, we become much more electrified as well. So, so I believe that um, as we fully you know, develop and move to sort of the next advanced level of, of, of society, there's, there's no question that we're going to uh, have uh, energy and electricity and electrification specifically as an underpinning theme of, of, of how that new society is developed and shaped. Now, I, I don't believe it's going to look like the, the energy infrastructure model we have today. I, I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, um, technological in, innovation out there that, that, that's really good, that's, that's, that's going to influence it. You know, hydrogen's, you know, huge, and uh, I don't think we've really scratched the surface on that. Uh, I think there's a place for liquid fuels as well, um, uh, advanced liquid fuels. Um, uh, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not just talking about biofuels, but, but maybe that, you know, there's a breakthrough there. Um, and there's a place for nuclear, uh, you know, small modular nuclear as well. Um, but it's going to be driven by energy and electrification. And, um, uh, and, and technologies are going to be um, developed to enhance and take advantage of a smarter grid structure than what we have today. So we won't see, you know, people are going to laugh when they look at uh, the, the pictures of, of telephone poles and and electric, you know, the, the distribution electrical systems we have that utilities use today, um, and I think even the the, the transmission uh, grid that we have today is going to change substantially um, as we become um, um, more effective and uh, and more advanced in, in 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 learning about how electrons really work um, and and things like induction become you know part of uh, our our vernacular. Um, so we're we're on the cusp of it. Um, usually these kinds of leaps happen, you know. I think you know in, in quantum stages, and we've been in, when it comes to electricity, uh, we've been at the same level for at least a hundred years, just over a hundred years. Um, and I, so we're we're ready for uh, a, a quantum leap in this space, and I think we're on the verge of that. Couldn't agree more. So what are, what are a couple of things that you've learned along the way, a couple of aha moments that you've had that you can share? Um, so I think aha moments for me um, have been um, the, 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 the real sort of amazingly rapid adoption um, of clean energy and decarbonization of the grid that happened faster than I ever thought it would happen. Um, uh, you know, it was just you know a few years ago um, during the last year of the uh, Biden Obama uh, administration that we were still talking about natural gas as a transition, you know, uh, bridge fuel. And you know, <laughs> here we are four years later, and that's I mean, with the advent of, of batteries, uh, you know. The, the 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 dramatic drop in the costs of lithium ion battery technology and the new battery technologies that are coming online you know it is an amazing aha event and it 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 it, it, it will potentially um, hasten the transition um, to a you know a zero carbon grid or a decarbonized grid 
much faster than I think anybody had, had anticipated. And when that happens too, it will it will create parity for the internal combustion engine with uh, electric vehicles. Uh, once the battery problem is 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 solved, and I think we're very close there too. So uh, certainly the OEMs uh, are transitioning all their fleets over so that they can take advantage of this. Um, I think that business is going to change dramatically. We talked about that earlier. Um, I think the players in that space are going to change dramatically uh, as well. Um, and I, and I, I think um, the business model, especially the business model that, that we currently have where you, you, know, <laughs> you spend 30 or 40 or $50,000 buying a car that depreciates over the course of the next three to four years, it's going to change because the utility of what we currently call a vehicle uh, it, it will have a different value proposition. You know, as, as I said, it's going to be, it'll potentially be what, what will be created will be a grid asset. And so all of those things for me are, are sort of, we're in, we're in a sort of a stretch of, of aha moments um, as we transition very fast to a decarbonized grid and a decarbonized future. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, Walter, the last question I have is, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Well, I tell you, um, the advice, the best advice that, that I got that I have actually used is um, when it comes to whatever you believe you're supposed to be doing with your life um, professionally, okay, um, you should make a conscious decision to go deep on that. Don't go wide. And what I mean by that is um, there's so much information today. There are, there's so many distractions today that you can. it's easy to spread yourself uh, uh, too broadly. Um, you know, like, for example, I mentioned that you know, I, you know, I'm flexing my artistic muscle by creating a newsletter. Well, you know, there were immediately, I used to have a, uh, 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 a person who handled my media for me um, back when I read, when I, when I did the coastal, the coastal create. And she said to me, she said, well, you know, you might want to think about, you know, adding a podcast and you might want to think about um, uh, adding, you know, a blog and you might want to think about adding, you know, and, and that's fine. Um, and you might want to think about, you know, getting uh, more visibility uh, using all the social media platforms and setting up a schedule to do that. And that's fine. But I have found that if I pick one social plat platform that I really focus on, for me, that's LinkedIn because I have real conversations with real people. Um, I'm still active on Twitter, but, but when I want to really hear what people have to say, um, you know, LinkedIn has been my go-to. Um, I, I find that, um, uh, instead of trying to uh, be uh, all things to all people when it comes to decarbonization, in other words, trying to um, uh, be the enviro guy as well as the clean tech guy, as well as the advocate and the activist, um, I, I just need to be who I am. And, and I'm, I'm a, I happen to be a, 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 a clean tech entrepreneur who, who is, who's had, you know, uh, the fortune, the fortunate life. Of, of being successful at doing public policy and starting businesses 
and and helping to shape uh, how an industry thinks. Um, and that has a lot to do with just you know timing and and being in the right place at the right time. And some of the people I've had the fortune to know. Um, but you you want to go deep. And so people when they know me, they they know what's what lane I'm in. They know that if they come to me, I'm a I'm a fair and uh, an even broker. I can help them. I, I'm willing to help most people who are willing to help themselves. But I'm but but you know I I go deep with people and I go deep with um, the things that I focus on. And I don't try to spread myself too thin. Uh, and then I find that I'm much more successful and I'm able to scale what I do so much more efficiently because I'm singly focused on accomplishing, achieving a goal. And I think that that's what people need to, as they, as they mature and, and sort of figure out what it is that they, that they really um, are, are, are I, hate, I know it's overused. Uh, they're passionate about, but more importantly, what they, what comes to them. I mean, this, what I'm doing it comes to me just like walking. I mean, I this this is not something I work at it to to be good at it, but but it's it 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 feels natural to me, and that's I think important uh, to go deep. Don't go wide when it comes to what you decide to do, your topic, the focus, uh, your why, and the people that you spend time with. I really appreciate you sharing that. Before we go, is there anything we have not explored that you'd like to talk about or share? Well, I think that um, you know, you and I had talked a little bit about um, uh, the the diversity issue in in this space, and I think that um, even though um, my expertise is is not diversity and inclusion, um, I live, eat, and breathe, and and represent diversity and inclusion because uh, I'm a minority entrepreneur, and 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 this is something I experience all the time, and I just think that. As we um, go down this path and chart this course of, of 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 what our new economy, our new global economy is going to look like, our new economy here in the U.S. is going to look like, it's we have to be conscious and consciously make the effort uh, to to broaden uh, the types of people uh, that are part of that discussion, so that what we what we end up with and what we create is truly uh, sustainable. Uh, that it truly benefits everyone, uh, and that it has uh, the potential to improve everyone's lives. Because that's what it's really, I think, all about in terms of you know us as human beings. We, we need to continue to evolve and continue to um, uh, improve and advance uh, who we are as a species. And you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. One of the goals of this podcast is to you know shed a spotlight on individuals from all walks of life that are working towards, you know, building a better planet, doing this together, minorities, women, you know, I just feel like, to your point, the more diversity we can bring to the table, the better we'll all be in the future. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Walter, for your time. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. This was great. Thank you for having me, Raj. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and review at Apple Podcast. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production. And if you want to show your support and help us grow, please share with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle.